Okay, well, we do need to jump in here. I, I should uh, announce that, though. Uh, praise God uh, Wednesday uh, that uh, Kate gave birth to Colette Irene Dorland. So we've been praying about that. And uh, pray for the three ladies who are expecting here. And uh, with, uh, I mentioned, Augusta, it's any, any moment, any moment. So I'm praying it's today. Can we pray that it's today? Let's do that. Let's pray for a safe delivery today. And, uh, okay. All right. Let's get in here. Uh, secret to a successful life and family. Secret to a successful life and family. Uh, perhaps you saw this story. Uh, this is a uh, lady, Cara Brookins. Brookins. Um, she and her four kiddos went through a really rough time with an abusive father. Uh, she was left with the pieces, picking up the pieces. Uh, she ended up buy, buying a pile of rubble uh, and using YouTube tutorials. This is on the Today Show. It's just featured on the Today Show. She wrote a book about it. But, but she and her four kids, late at night after school, built a house from a pile of rubble. And it is, it is an astounding-looking house in nine months uh, watching YouTube videos. Amazing, amazing accomplishment. At times, our life circumstances leaves us with a very difficult pile of rubble, right? You think of many people in the Bible that were given a pile of rubble at the beginning of their lives, uh, or maybe in their early childhood or teen years, just everything fell apart. Um, and, and the Lord gives great hope to those in that condition, because there is no problem too difficult. Uh, for the Lord to continue uh, to give grace to build. Moms for generations have been amazing at picking up the pieces and forging a positive situation for their children. And again, you may be in that boat today. Uh, perhaps you're remembering your mom doing that for you, and you're remembering that favorably. What a blessing that is. Perhaps your mother caused some of the rubble in your life, uh, and you're trying to rebuild your life. Um, whatever situation you are the Bible does give us great instruction how to live a successful life, what a successful life looks like, and how to get to that end. And so for this Mother's Day, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Song for Solomon. All right. Uh, what does that bring to your mind? Okay. A different type of mother, a different side of motherhood. Uh, we are actually going to do that here in, in, a, in a month or so. Uh, the Song of Solomon. This is a song for Solomon. And it's much shorter. Psalm 127. So turn in your Bible there. Psalm 127. You see right there at the top a song of ascents of Solomon. And, and, and so there's a little question is, is this written by Solomon? So is it a song of Solomon? Is it written by David for Solomon? So is it a song for Solomon? Those are not inspired. Those uh, things that are passed down to us at the top at the beginning of these psalms. Um, so we're asking, who is who wrote it? I believe it was written, uh, and, and many others too, written by David for his son Solomon, probably on the occasion of building the house of the Lord. Uh, or, or with that in mind, with that in mind, son Solomon, you're going to be building a house, a big house, uh, for the Lord. And, uh, and, and there's some pretty clear references to that amazing, like a sounding. This is really cool. I had no idea this was in this psalm as I studied it this week. Uh, so let's jump in here. There's, there's two major sections. 
The first section, verses 1 to 3, I'm sorry, verses 1 to 2, the vanity of work without God's blessing. The vanity of work without God's blessing. And then the second, verses 3 to 5, is, is the blessing of children in, in God's family. The blessing of children in God's family. So that's what we'll give some time to here in our few moments. The vanity of work without God's blessing. And, and so this, this kind of uh, three, a triad of three uh, situations or scenarios in which all your work is in vain without God's blessing. So, so you see that, right? In vain, in vain, in vain. There's this repetition of this idea of vanity. It's not our vanity word from Ecclesiastes. Uh, that's just kind of breath, the Hebrew word for breath. This is actually the word for nothing, nothingness, empty, worthless, big old fat zero. Okay, and so the equation would go like this. X plus a minus Y equals zero. And he gives three situations in which this equation works out. All right, sorry, we're getting into some algebra here. But this is what it is. Your building is the first idea, plus God's non-building equals a big fat zero, vanity. All right. The second scenario, your guarding plus God's non-guarding equals a big fat zero, vanity. And then the third scenario is your laboring of any kind plus God's non-laboring equals vanity. A big fat zero. Okay? So, that's our, our, our equation uh, that he gives. And, and in each case, it, it equals vanity. And in each case, it's plus a minus Yahweh. If you try to do this, plus not having Yahweh. And then the factor. Building, guarding, laboring. You could put preaching a sermon. <laughs> you, you could put changing a diaper. You could put changing the oil. Well, whatever you're trying to do, plus God's not being involved in it, equals vanity. So that's the main idea of these first two verses. Let's look at the first case. Unless the Lord does what? Builds the house. Okay, unless the Lord, the vanity of house building without the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who are working to build it are laboring in vain. All right, I, I actually did some work framing in seminary, it was fun. It was a really fun job. Actually, you build the skeleton of the house, some custom homes there. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, in that culture, it was very different. You, you would have a, an in, inheritance. You would, be, you would inherit your family's land that God gave to Israel in, in the time of the setting of when this is written. And so it would almost be like there's this house and you are trying to continue to build upon it and keep it strong for the next generation that would build it and the next generation that would build it and so forth. And then that my oldest son would build on it and then his son, oldest son would build on it. So that would be the idea. Uh, and, and, and so it's not just, okay, I can't get a mortgage or I can't rent this apartment without the Lord's help. Uh, that's part of this, but it's deeper than that, right? It's, it's talking about not just a house, it's talking about the, a heritage, a home. Unless the Lord is involved in building your heritage, in building a home, in building a household, 
you're just laboring in vain. Um, and, and so let's just kind of step out, take your spot where you live. I don't care if you're single, if you're married, uh, if you're a grandparent, uh, whatever scenario you are, you should try to think about that place in which you reside as something that you want to be uh, glorifying to God. This is, this, is my, this is my signpost. Everything in our house should cry glory, just like everything in the temple cries glory. We try to point to God uh, with all that we do. But maybe I could give a specific application to our moms. Moms, the most important part of your life is this home building. It's not taking the broken pieces of a shattered, abusive relationship and building a house. It's taking even some of those difficult situations and making a home. And this is difficult. As we'll see, this is impossible. You can do all that the books say. All right, you can be perfect and totally mess up the family home. Because all the building in the world is worthless if the Lord is not involved in that building. You can read all that James Dobson ever wrote and do everything that all the family counselors tell you to do and it's worthless if God is not building it too. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's continue to kind of build on this. He goes from the house to the, the city itself. And so we think of Solomon there as he's taking over the reins of Jerusalem. All right, unless the Lord guards the city, the vanity of city guarding. Unless the Lord guards the city, that watchman's standing guard in vain. Right? Appreciate all the, the folks that serve on our, our team out there to help keep, keep the church safe. Right? If, if they're watching, but the Lord's not watching, it's worthless. Right? Our, our city uh, needs people that are helping protect. Uh, in this case, in this culture, it would be the walls. The walls guarded that city and the uh, people that were in the city building their houses in the city. But they would have on the walls these watchmen who stand and look and try to see when there was an enemy approaching. Uh, the Lord needs to be guarding that more than the watchmen. Right? Today, I don't know if you have seen this, this is called the Iron Dome. Um, last May, Really, uh, in, in Israel, this, this was used in a crazy way. 4,300 rockets from Gaza were, were fired into Israel. Uh, more than 1,500 targeted heavy populated areas. And, and this iron dome that set up actually took down 90% of those rockets. has 90% success rate. What this thing does is it senses the nature of what's coming over where it's headed and how much damage it will take, will, will cause if it's going to populated areas, and it takes out that missile. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> um, but that's 90%. Uh oh, what happened? All right, they took it down. <laughs> that was quick. Uh, I don't know, for some reason this went to sleep. I think our computer just died. Yeah, this is gone. Okay. Um, so, it is uh, 
it is empty to try to run a computer. <laughs> Worthless, uh, unless the Lord does it for you. Um, that's 90%. The, the Lord is not an iron dome. He is a diamond dome. 100% success rate allows nothing into our lives, into our village, into our cities, but what he permits. Uh, if you have a rocket in your life, if you have rubble in your life, you know it's because the God allowed it into your life. 100% success rate. Uh, nothing has got in uh, but what God allows. All right, let's move to the next one, if we can. Um, the Lord is uh, the vanity of sitting guarding without the Lord guarding. How about this third one? Okay, all of our teenagers need to close their ears on this one. Uh, the third one hits closer to home here in New York City, right? You, you may not have a house. You, we don't have city walls. Um, but you do have labor. That's what we have here maybe more than these in other areas of the world. Um, look at, I'm teasing teens, you can listen, but, but look at the vanity of painful labors. The vanity of painful labors. This is some people's life verse. <laughs> it's vain for you to rise up early. To, eat, to, to retire late. To eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved in his sleep. In this case, we have a condition and then a very important reason for the condition. That's what this whole first section is building up to. The condition is, it is empty for you to get up early. Zero, big old zero for you to get up early tomorrow. Big old zero for you to work late tonight. It's a big old zero to eat the bread of painful labors, meaning to eat the bread that you have worked hard with all your might to, to earn. All of that's empty if you're not doing it with the Lord's strength. So, quick clarification. He's not saying it's wrong to work, right? This is, there's a work ethic commanded in the Bible. He's not saying it's wrong to protect a city, right? He's not saying that. He's not saying it's wrong to, to build your house. He's not saying that. These three things are not wrong. It's wrong without understanding that all I'm doing is only by the grace of God. And so you have this phrase, the plowing of the wicked is sin. There's a sense in which your work can be entirely sinful in every way if you're not doing it with this mindset. This is all for God and this is all through God. If our work, if my work as a pastor is not done for God and through God, it's sinful. Right? The plowing of a field, if it's not going for God and through God, is sinful. And so, right, we get to this, this secret. All that we have is by God's grace. And so you can work 80 hours a week for 80 years and end up completely empty. That's the point here. You, you can do everything in your power to amass, to build up. And one little thing can happen that leaves you with nothing. And so in any case, actually every moment, we are completely beheld to God. Every moment. My next breath is by God's grace. My next heartbeat is only by God's grace. I do not have the next heartbeat. And we have to live. That is the, it's saying you, you are either living like an atheist 
Are you living with a sense that I am completely dependent upon God? And so it is vain for you to do all this work if you're not doing it as unto the Lord, recognizing that the Lord's giving you the strength. And then this is the point. This is what is the reason for this? For, and now he gives us this important perspective of all of this. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So, so he's not saying just stay in bed all day, but he's just saying this. Listen, you can work 80 hours, 80 years, and come up with nothing, or you can stay in bed your whole life, and if God wants you to do that, he can provide. The X factor, or the Y factor, is God. It's not you. And so all of us are left at the foot of God. We are tied there with golden chains, as Tennyson said. We, we can have no success if unless we come to the Lord our God. So, who gives? The Lord gives. Yahweh gives. Who does he give to? He gives to whom? His beloved. Now, this is fascinating. All right. If, if I would write in your Bible uh, 1 Samuel 12.25. This is the term Jedediah. This is the word Jedediah. Who's Jedediah? 1 Samuel 12. 20. Let's turn over there. 1 Samuel 12.25. In this setting, it's a very sad setting uh, in David's life. 1 Samuel 12.25. Uh, his adulterous wife, whom he killed her husband, has had a baby and that baby died. This second child that they have Nathan comes to David 1 Samuel 12 25 and he says it's not 12 25 okay I'm going to have to get it for you because um, I, I didn't find this in cross references I had to study it out is it 2 Samuel? Thank you. 2 Samuel 12.25. Uh, 2 Samuel 12.25, he says, Nathan says, call his name Jedidiah. And that's Solomon. Solomon is Jedidiah. Solomon is called beloved of the Lord. This darkest time in David's life, this blot on his character, his reputation, this unusual, like every one of us would say, David, you don't deserve to be king. You don't deserve to stand before God. You don't deserve anything. God uses that as the platform to show his greatest mercy on David. And that is the son that God chooses to bring the house of the Lord, the kingdom established, this Jedediah. So we can turn back to Psalm 127 here. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for the Lord gives to Jedediah, those beloved of the Lord. Okay, so, so great, we, we tie this to Solomon, but what does it say then? What does he give it to him? In his sleep. 
All right, for those of you that know the story, this gets even deeper. Right? God blessed Solomon unusually. When did that start? In his sleep. In his sleep, God appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, I can give you whatever you want. What do you want? And what did Solomon say? Wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you all the other stuff you could ever think of. Isn't that neat? Now, what I think may be going on here, too, now I may be wrong about this, I'm not alone thinking this way, but it may be that Solomon was not even involved in that dream. Oh, there's no cord. Oh, there's a cord. Anyway, we can be done with that, sorry. Um, the, Solomon was given all of that in his sleep, and it may have been that he did not act at all, that it wasn't even his decision, because it was a dream. Now, it may have been that he was acting with his volition in his dream. I don't know. Uh, but what is really cool is Jedediah is given so much in his sleep. Now, uh, the way this comes to us then is recognizing that the Lord is giving unusual mercy to an unusual sinner by blessing David with Solomon, with a temple, with a house, with a heritage that goes all the way down to whom? Jesus. And this is where we get to the gospel. This is the gospel. It's in Jedediah. The word Jedediah brings the gospel to Psalm 127. Because this is what's going on. Unusual mercy to David through Solomon because of Isaiah 55.3. The sure mercies of David that you and I can tap into because of the covenant that he made with David the sinner. Because of the covenant that God made with David the sinner, I can have mercy. I can be shown mercy uh, because of Jesus. Right? So who is Jedediah? Well, it's Solomon in one sense, but the greatest Jedediah was Jesus himself. And this is why the Father often said in the big public stages of Jesus' life, this is my beloved Son in whom I am Jedediah, well-pleased, beloved of the Lord. So this is the secret to eternal life. This is the secret to a successful home. This is the secret to success in, in life completely. It is a gospel grasping of your place before God. It's recognizing that all of my 80 hours of work each week is blessed by God entirely through the gospel. And so I labor more abundantly than all, but not me. It's the grace of God through me. And so it's throwing myself at the feet of Christ and saying, I deserve hell, but you give me heaven. Use my life for your glory. It is the Lord giving to his beloved even in his sleep. And so we see that he gives to Jedediah, he gives to Solomon uh, because of his great mercies to David that David did not deserve. And so this is the character of God. But actually that was earned by Jesus, the greatest beloved. And those sure mercies, Isaiah 55.3, brings to all of you. Right? Where he says, come and have satisfaction through the sure mercies of David. And so you and I can come today and find this same Jedediah.
This is how you and I can place our names in there. I want the Lord to give to me in my sleep. Well, how do you do that? You come by being united to Christ. If you're in Christ, if you're in the greatest son of David, the son of God, whom David called Lord, then you are in this place, this position of beloved of the Lord, and you have eternal life. Oh, man, we need to keep moving. I, I, wish, we, I wish we could just do this in two weeks. Um, let me just apply this to moms, right? So what is this? This is saying, moms, that all of your work for your sons and daughters, all your work for your grandsons and granddaughters, you can do everything, but if you don't have this concept, it's worthless. Uh, everything right according to the books. Your children may be the most obedient according to the books, and you'll watch them fly away and become twice a Pharisee as you are, or as Jesus would say, twice a child of hell. So where is the power The power is not in our war rooms or our prayer closets. The power is in God, the builder, the garter, the true worker, whom we reach through our war rooms and prayer closets. The power is God himself. And prayer is a gauge in which we grasp this. Right, And so really the true secret of all of our parenting is not reading the the next book, it's praying. It's praying with the sense of gospel. The sense that I can't do this without God's grace. Uh, Prayer is the gauge of your trust in the Lord. You're seeing him build your family. And I would say also for our church. How can we build a spiritual building? We can do all the right things, all the right ways, and miserably fail. I believe that with all my heart as a church. If we're not doing this this way. Lord, I ask you to build grace not because of Tim at all, not because of anyone here, but because of your mercy in Jesus. That's our only plea. And the gauge to which we have that spirit is our prayer life. And so I'll just ask, moms, are you praying for your kids? Right? You can say this a hundred times a day, but if you're not praying, then you really aren't believing it. Right? As a pastor, am I doing this? I can say it every day, but if I'm not doing it, I don't believe it. All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. So let us commit to praying for our church family, our families in this way. And then our our second section here, and we'll we'll try to do this in 10 minutes or so. um, uh, The blessing of children in God's family, verses 3 through 5. The blessing of children in God's family. What children are, verse 3, children are what? What does verse 3 say? They are the gift of God, right? Behold, children are the gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So what is that little baby in the womb? According to the Bible, it's a gift. This is a gift, a gift from God. You can't choose. I read, we know the biology of it, right? We know husband and wife come together and right? But, but if we understand it spiritually, there is a new person in that womb, a new person with a new soul, something really special. And, and it's a gift from God, right? Many parents aren't able to do this. It's totally God. Every time a couple, uh, 
is conceives, is pregnant, it is a gift from God. These children are a gift. Moms, your children, even those times where they're so stressful, a handful, a pull your hair out full, they're a gift of God. He gave them to you knowing it would be difficult. It would be strenuous. And, and for many of you, it takes your life. Giving of your life, giving of yourself. They are a Nathan. They are a gift of God to those who are Jedediah, beloved of God. And so our spirit should just be as a parent. I can't do this without him. Uh, this is God's decision. He's given me these precious children as a gift, and I can't do it without him. This is God's gift. This is God's gift. So what are children? They are a gift of the Lord. Now, I should take a side with this. It would be sinful for me not to say this. Um, right, this is really in our, in our news right now, isn't it? Uh, Roe v. Wade. There's this, um, there's this overwhelming talk about it. There's the politicizing of it. Uh, you guys know that if Roe v. Wade is overturned tomorrow, nothing changes in New York. New York State's laws on the books are worse than everywhere else in the world, pretty much. Um, and, and so, the, but we, we should just understand uh, the Lord's mind on this. Uh, Psalm 139, 13, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me together in my mother's womb. There, there, is, a, there is a weaving together that is very special. Um, and so, ending that gift uh, is a sin. Now, it's a, a sin that, that God forgives if this is in your past, uh, but we should still acknowledge that it is a sin that needs to be repented of and turned from. Um, and so Jeremiah shares it this way. Before, uh, God says, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God's forming in the womb, and even before that, even before conception, the Lord knows that person. And so this is a precious gift of the Lord. Um, it's amazing. One person is sustaining, protecting, and providing during the most difficult time of human life. And that's the privilege our moms have. Um, since Roe v. Wade, 63 million gifts have been destroyed. Nearly 200 countries have laws on the books concerning this. Only three countries have laws uh, that are more deadly for the womb than New York State. Only three. 194 have less. Only three. China, Vietnam, North Korea. Right. Most of the world has more of a conscience about this than New York State. This is not just a Christian position. Uh, this is the normal position of Jewish, Roman Catholic, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. Not the extreme parts. This is just the normal position. You can't hide that. You can't lie about that. It's just true. So some groups are trying to demonstrate outside of churches, and they're just going to have to expand that to all these different faith groups. Right? Only seven countries in the world allow selective abortion past the 20th week of the growth of that child. Only seven. Um, and then I realize this is something our media disagrees with, politicians disagree with. But I do believe that if New York, even New York State were given a chance to vote against that, they, New York State would vote against that. Um, but, but we weren't given the chance to vote. Um, these children are a gift 
They are a gift. And so Jesus says, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Um, And so we do. We do. So what are children like then? Children are a gift of God, just giving us perspective on this. And so what are they like? And this is fascinating. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. What a picture. Moms, right? Uh, This is what these children are. These children are arrows. Not meant to keep inside all the time. But meant to shoot. Not shoot at. Uh, meant to be influence from you, whether they're near or far. And, and actually, in that culture, they would stay very close. But ready to come to bat. Arrows who, arrows in the hands of a warrior. Children are like these arrows that are made to shoot straight in the family's weaponry. This is all what our life is about. The strength of a family is not their wealth, it's their children. It's providing for the next generation to be able to speak. In just a second, he says that speak with the enemies of the gate. When? And this is what the text says. When should this happen? Uh, Like arrows in the hands of where we are, children of one's youth. Now, I realize youth is a little cultural. In that day, it would be even much younger than we consider today. Um, But let me just encourage you. All right, those of you who are young, get married, stay happily married till you die, and enjoy raising children. Right? Okay, that's what the text says. Uh, I realize again, many things that are in the Bible are not culturally acceptable, but this is this is when culture needs to be adjusted uh, through through Christ. We don't need to legalize, you know, legislate that. We we let the Lord change our hearts. Right? Uh, you can't tell everybody you got to get married. Um, Jesus wasn't married, right? And so, and so it's not God's will for everyone. We know that. Uh, but this is generally speaking. Uh, mom and dad's making arrows. How many? Well, you should have ten. Is that what it says? No, it says what? How blessed is the one whose quiver is full. Okay, that's, that's another, just like young is general, based on society, based on your factors. Also, a full quiver is fairly general. He doesn't say you need to have 12 like Jacob. Uh, you, may, you may have one and you're like, my quiver is totally full. You may have that and then have five. Um, you, you, whatever a quiver full feels like, you know as a family. What is the result of these full quivers? You know, the quivers where you carry your arrows. Um, they will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Uh, They they will be able to speak with influence in their area. And they will not fear because their family is backing them up. And, And so this is success. This is success. Success is when, as far as a family goes, right? As far as a family goes... Success is when your children are the next generation speaking for the interests of the family in your behalf. Speaking with a man in our neighborhood who's from Tibet, and he mentioned how offensive it was to him that a man his age, who was an employer, uh, said, my, my dad finally passed away so I can use his money. And he said, that's totally offensive. And it is. 
uh, that, that becomes a Western view of looking at money, looking at fair parenting and family. Um, it's a shame. It's a shame. This is what happens when parents live all about building the nest egg instead of building the nest as a health and, healthy, wholesome nest. And that's our goal. Our goal is to have children who will be ready to speak with the enemy. And if I could just spiritualize this as the most important part here. What does that mean? Right? That doesn't, doesn't mean talking to the Philistines anymore. Who is our greatest enemy? We want children who are carrying on the faith. We want children who grasp the faith. And then as they are teenagers and the young adults are speaking for the faith. So that when I'm ready to be gone and I only have a few short years left, my children are taking the place, voicing the faith against the enemy. That's success. That's success. I don't care if I die a pauper. My children are speaking the faith. I'm a success. My inheritance, my heritage is to them is not to, hey, look, we got this house and we made it bigger, we made it better. No, that we gave of our lives to speak for the Lord, to influence people for the kingdom of Christ. That's the gate. The gates of hell will not stand against his church. How does this happen? Let's combine these two ideas. It does happen through serious Bible instruction, through faithfulness in the community of the church. Takes time, effort, patience, forgiveness, growth. But what does it take? According to this lesson, verses 1 to 2, what did it say? Yes, this is so important. It's so important to have this faith carried down to the next generation. As a church, it's so important for us to be teaching the children downstairs. But how is it going to happen? It's not going to happen because we finally picked the right curriculum. God, it's all empty. All of this is empty if God doesn't show up and do it. And so as parents, as church, as family, as moms, we're left back at Jedediah. Come in my place, Lord Jesus. I come praying in your name. Make my family an arrow. Give us a voice in the city. For good, give us influence for the name of Christ. Jesus has earned all my favor, and so I boldly enter the throne room in Jedediah, beloved of the Lord, not because of me, but because of Christ. And I come like, I do come like the Zebedee's mom, the sons of Zebedee. Would you give my sons influence in your kingdom? Would you let them speak for your, my daughters, would you give them influence in your kingdom? This is our heart as we come to the Lord. Better not be, Lord, help me to build a big nest egg. That's not our best life now. Often it's the Harvard placement. It's the, it's the, now I guess it's probably eight figures. I don't know how many figures you need now. That will often cause spiritual blindness, difficulty for the family. And so all of us, by God's grace, just, we're just at his, knee, at his knees, on our knees before the Lord. I remember when we moved to Brooklyn to start Grace here, we put all of our stuff in a 10 by 10 storage unit 
and we, we traveled around um, talking to churches about praying for us uh, here as we moved to this, this little neighborhood in, in Queens, seeing there were none that we knew of at that time, gospel preaching churches and so many people that needed to hear and nations here. So we did that for about nine months. So one time we were in, in the middle of the mountains of PA, way out in nowhere, middle of nowhere. Hannah was four or five, Lids was about two. We only had two kiddos there. And, um, and several times I remember this, and I'm just sharing one story. Uh, Hannah, they, they both got a fever, and uh, I think they call it hoof and mouth. Is that a thing? Right, that's it, right? Okay. Well, Eric says yes. Um, Criselda, that's a thing, right? Something like that. Huge fever, 104 degrees. And I just remember seeing little Hannah there um, and not, not knowing what to do. Uh, middle of nowhere, um, late at night. Uh, I don't know where to go. And I'm just, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm young. Um, and I just, just went over and started crying. That's not a good feeling as a dad. It's not a good feeling as a mom. But if we could just take that feeling, right? God broke her fever that night. But that's where we all are all the time. If we ever get off of that place of feeling like, God, you got to show up or nothing's going to happen, we are in a dangerous place. Because if we understand we're all in that place all the time, every aspect of your life, not just mothering, every aspect of your life is entirely there. If you're not there every day on your knees saying, Lord, if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen, then, then, it's, then it's the life of the agnostic. It's the life of the atheist. All of us are there, and that's the secret to life. The secret to life is that spirit, that spirit of gospel dependent Jedediah. Lord, if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen. And yet, by your grace, if you show up, the buildings are built. The family is safe and secure. And your name is glorified. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace for this. We know that even, even the understanding of our entire need before you, this sense of Jedediah is all by your grace. It's all by your mercy. And so I just pray that you would shower this down upon all of us, this sense of total inability, total um, inadequacy, total necessity of you, and then also a total confidence in Jesus, our Savior, who has earned all our favor before you, so that we would come boldly, daily, regularly throughout the day, about our children, about our homes, but also about everything in our lives, about our tests, about our financial pressure, about our aches and pains, about our emotional pains. Lord, all of these things give us the sense of Jedediah, Lord, that we, Lord, unless you show up, we have nothing. We'll thank you for that. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a moment to continue to pray to the Lord. In a moment, we'll sing a closing hymn. I'll be standing in the back lobby. Be happy to pray with you if you'd like to pray.